It might not fit a premillennialist view. Uh, I'd just as soon stick with Scripture and not to somebody's recipe, if that's okay. I look at Scripture here as truth. When it says something, I, I want to believe it for what it says, more than someone's opinion of what might occur. Second Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1 through 17. These, these times, I will say this, in case you fall asleep, um, these times are going to be very difficult times ahead for the church as in the end of the age. But at the end of this message, I want to give you hope. I want to give you the, the godly recipe for surviving difficult times. So it's not just gloom and doom that we're going to look at here today. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, starting at verse 1, we'll be reading the entire chapter. Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and by our gathering together unto him. So we know what event this is talking about. That ye be not soon shaken in mind or be troubled, neither by spirit nor by word, nor by letter as from us, as that the day of Christ is at hand. Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come, except there come a falling away first, and that man of sin be revealed the son of perdition, who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God, or that is worship, so that he as God sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Remember ye not that when I was yet with you, I told you these things. And now ye know that what withholdeth, that he might be revealed in his time. For the mystery of iniquity doth already work, only he who now letteth will let, until he be taken out of the way. And then shall that wicked be revealed, whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth, and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming, even him whose coming is after the working of Satan, with all power and signs and lying wonders, and with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish, because they receive not the love of the truth, that they might be saved. And for this cause God shall send them strong delusions, that they should believe a lie, that they all might be damned who believed not the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. We were, sorry, But we are bound to give thanks always to God for you, brethren, beloved of the Lord, because God hath from the beginning chosen you to salvation through sanctification of the Spirit and belief of the truth. Whereunto he called you by our gospel to the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, brethren, stand fast and hold the traditions. Now we talked a lot about this and that and what do we hold on to. We don't just want the least common denominator, by the way. Nobody here says, I would like to go to the person who has the least in common with me and let's, let's be together there. Um, and it's... He says, hold fast the traditions which ye have been taught, whether by word or our epistle. Now our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God, even our Father, which hath loved us and hath given us everlasting consolation and good hope through grace, comfort your hearts and establish you in every good word and work. Now these believers at Thessalonica, it's a hard word for me to say, were in a troubled state. Um, they felt that the Lord's return was so near, the day of the Lord when Jesus was returning and people were gathering together unto Him, it says in verse 1, it was so near that they reasoned to themselves, we ought to give up our jobs, it would say in the following chapter, it refers to that, 
And we need to await the Lord's return. Is that not um, being spiritual? Is that not being totally dedicated to the Lord and His return? Down through the ages, many fringe groups, if you could call it that, have made the same mistake. They have left the world and they have gone off onto a mountain and awaited for the Lord to come back. And I'm here to say all of them came home embarrassed. They, they all came home and said, well, I guess we're back again. No matter how intelligent or moving a person is or how convincing a person is, we can become foolish quickly if we, if we don't read Scripture and understand it for exactly what it is saying. As a fact, Paul is saying, don't be soon shaken in mind. Don't be troubled in spirit, neither by spirit nor by word, nor by letter from us as that the day of Christ is at hand. Now, why would Paul say this? Let no man deceive you in verse 3. For that day shall not come except there come a falling away first, and that man of sin be revealed. What's he saying? I, I just asked, do we... I would like to believe this exactly for what it's saying. He's telling them, go back to work. You have a life to live for Jesus Christ. You can't be somewhere out waiting on a mountain. There's events. And when those events do occur, lift up your head. Redemption is very, very near. That day, it says, will not come unless two things occur. Number one, a great falling away. And number two, that the man of sin is revealed the son of perdition. Well, I thought that the rapture or Jesus' return was going to happen like a thief in the night. Like events wouldn't take place. It's just, boom, there he is. Um, turn back a few pages to First Thessalonians chapter 4. Like a thief in the night. Let's look at that passage. Paul wrote it to these same people. Um, and he refers to that in verse 5. Remember ye not that when I was yet with you, I told you these things. This is the things that he was saying. Verse 16 of chapter 4 of 1 Thessalonians. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout and with the voice of an archangel and with the trump of God and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, so shall we ever be with the Lord. So there's the gathering together unto Jesus. Then it says, verse 18, Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. Verse 1, But of the times and seasons, brethren, ye have no need that I write unto you. Why? Because I was just there telling you. For yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. For when they shall say peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. So, which is it? Is it in Second Thessalonians or First Thessalonians? Well, we stop reading in a place where most people stop reading. He says he'll come as a thief in the night, but let's keep reading. Verse 4, But ye, brethren, are not in darkness, that that day should overtake you as a thief, you are the children of light and the children of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch and be sober. Uh, now, through all of this, I want you to catch the one phrase. 
verse 18. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. That's the commandment that we get from this passage. What are the words of comfort? So shall we ever be with the Lord. Have you comforted someone with those words? So shall we ever be with the Lord. Now, a lot of us assume that, well, so shall we meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. That means we'll be with the Lord in the air forever. Is that what it's saying? Let's not assume into the words that he's, he's telling us. The bottom line is, so shall we ever be with the Lord. That's the comforting words in this. <clears throat> we could discuss this topic till our ears fall off. Um, there is some very valid scriptures. All scripture is valid. More than man's opinion, more than my opinion. Enoch says the Lord will come with 10,000 of His saints. Is that the picture of we meet the Lord in the air and we all descend with our Lord to the Mount of Olives? I don't know. I want to be there with the Lord. That's the key. We could discuss it till our ears fall off and still not have a complete understanding. But the comfort of the words, so shall we ever be with the Lord. There are events that are going to directly point to the great event when Jesus gathers together His bride. Number one, a great falling away. Number two, the man of sin being revealed. If you go back to Matthew chapter 24, in the beginning of the chapter, He's talking about the end times. They say, when, when are these times going to be? When the temple is thrown down and when you return. And Jesus uses a prophecy type of speaking of an immediate event prophecy and also a distant event prophecy. Um, Isaiah did the same. David did the same. They weren't just speaking of their um, events that they're, dis- that they're discovering in their life as they're going through it. It also was repeated in Christ. And so these things in Matthew 24 speak of that time when the temple was destroyed and it was also a replica of how Jesus will return. That's how prophecy was done in old time and I'm convinced that's how prophecy is done with Christ as well. But in verse 5 he says, Many shall come in my name saying, I am Christ and shall deceive many. And then he says in verse 15, When you therefore shall see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel... And it speaks of in Daniel of someone setting themselves up as God and desiring to be worshipped. Then in verse 27, Jesus says, As lightning comes from the east to the west, so shall the coming of the Son of Man be. So he speaks of those two events. Then he speaks of the return of the Lord. In Mark, same events. Take heed that no man deceive you. And then he speaks again of after the... Tri- sorry. Verse 14, He that, when ye shall see the desolation spoken of by Daniel, then look up, because ye shall see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. The sobering part of this is that it's a reality that the man of sin, or the son of perdition, the culmination, that the Antichrist will be revealed in the world we know. Now, I don't know when he's going to be revealed. This world is pushing and racing for that day, it seems like. 
Who could have imagined the state of Christianity today? Consider this around you, the state of deception that, that we're living in, where people's faith is anchored in a profession that they have, in a theology that they have, but most would proclaim following Jesus Christ literally is legalism. Most Christians today, if you start preaching on the absoluteness of marriage, that's legalism. If you start preaching on making a covenant that you absolutely do not back off. When there's a covenant, you will follow through. Swear not at all, he says. Well, that's legalism if you just say, well, I affirm. It's Jesus' commands are viewed as legalism today. That is a heightened state of apostasy. <clears throat> a Christian's anchor today, and, and we sing a lot of songs even to this point. Um, where's your anchor? Well, my, my solid hope is in Jesus Christ and His work alone. And that, that is truth. However, what did Jesus say was a sinking sand? What did He say was a solid rock? If you look in Matthew, turn to Matthew chapter 7. My, my point here is this age of deception that we are seeing just explode in front of us where we're talking about Christ and His righteousness and His merits and His atonement for me, but I am not conformed to His Word or His Spirit. That's self-deception. But I am so talkative about what Jesus has done for me and His atonement for me and His work for me, but I am not conformed to His Word or His Spirit. That's self-deception. Matthew chapter 7, verse 24. Therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, I will liken unto him unto a wise man which built his house upon a rock. So it's not just a profession. It is a man who heard and did. And the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat upon that house and it fell not for it was founded upon a rock. And everyone that heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them not. It's nothing to do with a faith and a profession. There's an action. And doeth them not shall be likened unto a foolish man which built his house upon the sand. And the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat upon that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. You know, I'm not trying to pick apart songs because I, I, I love the song. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus Christ, Jesus' blood and righteousness. However, it says all other ground is sinking sand. There's an element of truth. There's also an element where we need to be careful. It's more than just a profession of what Jesus done, has done in His atonement for me. It's an action in my life 
that if it's not there, it's all sinking sand. Even the words that I say, even the profession that I truly believe in, it's all sinking sand. And this is the point. Truth is more than a theology. It's the only way acceptable for me to live my life. Um, you know, we live, it, it's, it's crazy. The very things that we say we hate so many times are the things that we love and we don't realize it. Um, but we hate to see them in others, etc. Um, if you would ask most people today, do you love theology? No way. Nope. I don't like theology. I like, you know, uh, just a real belief and a real life. I don't like theology. But most of us so easily fall back and actually embrace theology more than a life of total surrender and commitment to what Jesus asks us to do. We believe the theology of it's all in Jesus. And truly that is the only way of salvation. But it's sinking sand if that's where it stops. The doctrine of Christ is paramount to Christian living. But if we're okay with a lack of surrender to Jesus and living in His doctrine for my life, I am living in deception. That's the world we're living in. Turn to Second John chapter 1. Second John chapter 1. I'm going to start reading at verse 7. <clears throat> Second John 1, verse 7. For many deceivers are entered into the world who confess not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh. This is a deceiver and an antichrist. Look to yourselves that we lose not those things which we have wrought, but that we receive a full reward. Whosoever transgresseth and abideth not in the doctrine of Christ hath not God. He that abideth in the doctrine of Christ, he hath both the Father and and a son. Turn forward to, or sorry, back to First John chapter two. In so many ways, it's so easy, even for myself, to prefer theology over a love of the truth that requires action. It's so easy to fall back on theology than to really embrace a love of the truth. I tell you, love of the truth, someone embracing that, this, this word is everything to them. It, it is everything to them. They do not run away from teaching Sunday school. Okay, let's be just frank and straightforward. They do not run away from speaking to, with the, of the word to others. It's their love. It's exactly what they embrace. Nothing else matters. And if I'm wrong, correct me because I love the truth. And I want it to be part of me. First John chapter 2, verse 18. Little children, it is the last time, and as ye have heard, that Antichrist shall come. Speaking of someone specifically. But then he says, even now there are many Antichrists, whereby we know that it is the last time. Uh, something to understand here. You know, it's, I used to think for in my early years that antichrist means against Christ. It actually does not mean 
anti as in against Christ. Anti actually simply means in the place of Christ. So someone is coming who is desiring to take the place of Christ in this world. Someone who desires to take the place of Christ in your life and in my life. And they're a deceiver. The Antichrist voice has always been, even from the beginning, serve yourself. And Gaylor touched on that this morning. Serve yourself. That is the voice of the Antichrist. You don't need to be under authority. You don't need to be under your husband. You don't need to be under your church. You don't need to be under the brotherhood. Serve yourself. Get prosperity. Be controlling. Be domineering. Serve yourself. When he came, when the Antichrist came to Eve in the garden, was the temptation that the fruit was an apple that was red delicious? No. The temptation was, ye shall be as gods. Serve yourself. That God has an incredible following today, even in churches. Serve yourself. And see, that's in place of Christ. You know what Jesus says? Deny yourself. Yeah, but I want my music. Then you got the wrong Lord. I want my way of doing things. I want... And that's exactly the voice that's prophesied that will come. Serve yourself. It's said, even in my own life, how many times I look for a Savior who would give me the things of this world. How many times I look for a Savior, a King, who says, yeah, you can have that. That's okay. Serve yourself there. And Jesus, in loving compassion, calls to us, deny yourself, take up your cross, or you're not worthy of me. If a heart is longing for things of this present world, it will face insurmountable temptations. I, I am convinced of that. As I, reach, and as I read Scripture, and as we look at Thessalonians, you can turn back to Thessalonians chapter 2. If our heart is longing for the things of this present world, we will face insurmountable temptations. There's many small antichrists leading up to the coming of this man of sin who is the antichrist, who will position, this man will position himself in place of Christ in this world. And there will even be incredible signs that follow him. There will even be, if you will, miracles, but incredible lies that he can perform that would make people absolutely convinced and believe he is worthy to stand in place of Christ. Now, this is my question. Why does God allow this man of sin to take control? Why does God allow this degree of temptation in the world? Why is it at the end of the age... I don't know if it's the children, young people. I don't know if it's us who are going to face an incredible pressure from a world leader 
who will press with all his might. And God will allow that, that seduction, that temptation to come our way. Let's try to read this biblic, or answer this biblically. Why does God allow this man of sin? If you look at verse 9, we'll start at verse 9. Even him is speaking of him coming, whose coming is after the working of Satan with all power and signs and lying wonders, and with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish. Now this is sobering, because they receive not the love of the truth that they might be saved. And for this cause God shall send them strong delusions that they should believe a lie that they all might be damned who believed not the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. That's just incredibly sobering to me. Someone who's not loving the truth, embracing God's Word, and truly drinking God's Word into the depths of their soul, God says, I'm going to send something their way that will give them the fruit of exactly what they've lived for. If our heart is longing for the things of this present world, we're going to face insurmountable temptations. So as I look at God's plan here, don't embrace a love for the truth. And people who take pleasure in unrighteousness, God will send strong delusions their way that will become their damnation. I wonder if that Antichrist voice, have you heard that? Serve yourself? Do you realize where the voice is coming from? Because it's a voice that's going to come as it were to people would think, well, that's the voice of Christ. He's going to desire to stand in place of Christ. Serve yourself. Have you heard that voice? And what are you doing with it? The man of sin will be the culmination of satanic influence. Now as I read, it was incredibly interesting to study. It was in some ways frightening. Um, According to Revelation, the man of sin will be in control of all buying and selling. And unless you have a mark on your hand or on your forehead with the mark of 666, you will not buy or sell. Can you imagine the pressure that that creates? Now, now we look at this and we say, no, we could stand, because we know the number 666 and we know that you know when that comes down the pike, nope, we're out. But the pressure... You know, the Internet comes along and there's a lot of dangers with the Internet. But it's hard to run a business without the internet. You agree with that? It is difficult. So we say. And, you know, I struggle, if someone's saying, you know, I struggle with looking at things on the internet that I shouldn't, but I can't do without it. Something's messed up. You're saying we are people who can be pressured into taking something too great for us because of finances. 
we're in a heap of trouble. Because that is exactly what the end time is. Jesus said in His Word, listen, you're not going to be able to buy or sell unless you stand with this evil conglomeration. And if we fail to stand on the internet as we ought, how do we think we'll ever stand when the evil one comes? If there's things that we do on the internet that's just absorbing our time, absorbing our mind and energy, I think we're going to be in a heap of trouble. Mennonites are going to be in a heap of trouble, I'm saying. There's things worth dying for. And I'm not saying having no internet is the answer. I'm saying we get so pushed into... Now this internet is so all-encompassing in our lives. It's, it's like you cause a riot if you would say no phones in church. No internet at a place of location. It's, it's like this is my right. Uh, it's just incredible as I look at this. The Antichrist will control all buying and selling. It's going to be an incredible sweeping push for everyone who can't do business unless it's through Him. Daniel chapter 2 and Revelation 13, I invite you to read those passages. He talks about in those both of those um, passages about the culmination of a one world government that's ruled by ten kings. It talks about a culmination of deception and lying wonders that would impress people. And what's Frightening in many ways is that day's not too far away. If you would have talked about a market in your right hand or in your forehead, and without it you can't buy or sell anywhere in the world. Twenty years ago, people would say, Ah, we can see that today. I'm not saying it's coming in one year or ten years or fifty years. I'm just saying it it's very real. And if our heart is longing for the things of this present world, we will face insurmountable temptations. We have to clean our hearts and prepare them for the coming of our Lord. We need a wholehearted surrender to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. A heart that is longing for the things of God is paramount to survive the time we're living in and the time to come. Jesus said in John, He that loveth his life shall lose it. He that loseth his life for my sake shall find it. If any man serve me, let him follow me. And where I am, there shall also my servant be. Turn to Psalms chapter 3. So, in answer to the question, why does God allow this, these antichrists? Why does God allow even the main character, the ultimate antichrist? Why does God allow that person to have that influence? It's very clear in Thessalonians because many don't love the truth and take pleasure in unrighteousness. And God says, you want that? Here you go. And we say, well, I just wanted a little of that. You know, I don't want to go whole hog in this. I just, 
I just wanted that little piece for me. And, and that's all I wanted. The world can have all the rest of the garbage. I just want that little piece. And that little piece is a very voice of Jesus saying, deny yourself and come after me. This last question I want to... I, it's time for me to close, but I don't want to leave us where we're at. The last question I have is, how can I stand in this time when the whole world rises up against the followers of Jesus? That's the real question. Young people, how are you going to stand? When this whole world comes and they are adamantly against you. Psalms chapter 3 is a Psalms that David wrote when the whole world was against him. Even his own son, and that's prophesied at the end time, sons will deliver up their parents. Parents will deliver up their children. The whole world will be against the followers of Jesus. How are you going to survive? I look at this way David survived and David's response in this time. And I say, praise God. This is what he wrote in that time when the whole world was against him. Verse 1, Lord, how are they increased that trouble me? Many are they that rise up against me. Many there be which say of my soul, there is no help for him in God. Selah. But thou, O Lord, art a shield for me. My glory. Sorry. And the lifter of mine head. I cried unto the Lord with my voice, and he heard me out of his holy hill. Selah. Please think about that. I lay me down and slept. I awake for the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of ten thousands of people that have set themselves against me round about. Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God, for thou hast smitten all mine enemies upon the cheekbone. Thou hast broken the teeth of the ungodly. Salvation belongeth unto the Lord. Thy blessing is upon thy people. Selah. How could this man who had the whole world against him say, I lay me down in sleep and I slept peacefully? It comes from this conviction right here. Verse 3. He had a complete understanding and a complete faith in this. Thou, O Lord, art a shield for me. Now, if all of you would stand up with bows and arrows that I didn't know you had and start shooting at me right now, I still got a pretty good chance. I just have to duck behind this and I think I'm going to be good. I tell you, in warfare, you need a shield. You don't have a shield, I don't care how big of a sword you're swinging, you're going down. And look at David's words. The whole world's shooting at me. But nothing hits me that doesn't come past him. God's my shield. Thou, O Lord, art a shield for me. No matter how severe it becomes, young people, no matter how hard the world turns against you and militates against you, even if friends and family turn on you, Thou, O Lord, art a shield for me. Nothing comes by that shield. Nothing comes to you that didn't come by that shield. That's a faith that we must grab a hold of. Then he says, my glory. 
And that is a, a big key. His heart was not longing for the things of the world. His glory was anchored in his God. And, and whatever happened to him, that's okay. If Absalom takes over, that's okay. He actually said in that passage, if I don't return, so be it. Because his glory was God. Not something that, that people viewed of him. His glory wasn't his reputation. His glory was anchored in who God was. And his, his, what would bring him the most joy is God getting the most honor. His heart's longing was greater than Jerusalem. God was his glory. Thou, O Lord, art a shield for me, my glory. And it says, and the lifter up of mine head. You know, in this day and age we're living in, we have people who say, lift your head up. Be strong. Be large. Be in charge. David says, I'll humble myself and I'll bow down to whatever God has for me. And one day, He will lift up my head. But I'll let Him do that. When we gripe, when we're threatened, when we desire to be in control, even of the small things, family life, church life, whatever it is, it says something about our shield, about the faith of Jesus Christ being our shield. We don't need to fear and live in frustration if God is our shield. If He is our glory. And if we allow Him to be the one who would lift up our heads. Whether He exalts today or in eternity. This is my encouragement. Love the truth. And you know there's media that's chasing us and chasing our young people. And chasing all of our minds. There is media that chases after us. That's, if you would summarize it in two words, it would be pleasure in unrighteousness. Or three words. And we as a church, we have to be on guard of this. We have to be on guard of being a people who love the truth and turning our backs on the pleasure of unrighteousness. Lord, you're my shield, my glory. The lifter of mine head. That's going to carry us through. And one day the promise is absolutely certain. One day the Lord will come back. And it says right there in Thessalonians that the brightness of His coming will destroy that man of darkness. And that brings comfort to our hearts as we desire to remain faithful. Even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. If you're able to, would you kneel for prayer? Our Father in heaven, we thank you for your word and the truth of it. Lord, I pray that we would be people who would embrace your word with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And that we would glory in the one who died for us. And that we would lift up the name of Jesus Christ in this day when it's not cool. And Lord, I pray for the young people. We don't know what they'll face for the children. For all of us, Lord, we commit ourselves into your hands and we 
know that we can say of a surety as we love truth and avoid the pleasure of unrighteousness that you will be our shield and nothing will come to us that doesn't come past you. And there will be no temptation that we come our way as we love truth and as we avoid unrighteousness there will be no temptation that comes our way that you won't give us the strength to stand up and to forbear. Lord, I just pray for your um, power and your spirit to be upon us and to guide us in this way. In Jesus' name, amen.